Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. My name is Stacey and I'm so excited that you are joining me for season two of this podcast where we talk all things living a prophetic life. We have so many great conversations coming up, all purpose to equip and inspire you and to get you thinking about how God might be speaking to you and through you today. Yes, you. So let's go. friends and welcome back to another episode of the Prophetic Collective. We are knee deep in our Worship is Collection and thank you so much for every person who's giving your feedback. I hope you do know how much it really does mean to me that you would spend moments of your life hearing about what God's done in me, what he says in his word, listening to me share about these topics. It really does mean so much to me that we're on this journey together and I've loved receiving your feedback on how you are captioning what worship is to you as I share what it's been for me in my life and what I believe God teaches us through his word. One of the things I love about being a prophetic community is that we're growing in our understanding that to live a prophetic life, we have to first live a worshiping life. One is not possible without the other. We live a prophetic life out of the flow of our intimacy with Jesus. And worship is the whole of our lives. And that's what we're learning as we focus on worship is together. And today we've got another goodie and I have a real treat for you. You do not want to miss a moment. Today I'm captioning worship as worship is face to face. And towards the end of today's episode, you are going to have such a moment because my dear, dear friend, Roma Waterman, who is a prophet, is going to share something very special with you. Let me give you a little bit of context. She had a really important decade birthday last year. She gathered about seven of her closest friends and we all were giving her our gifts and saying happy birthday. Of course, she took us all out for lunch. She's one of the most generous people I've ever met. And then she presents each of us with a gift. And we're like, why are you giving us a gift on your birthday? It's so her. I don't know why I was surprised. What we opened, it felt holy. It was such a treasure because Roma had produced a book, a limited edition book, just for us, her dearest friends, called Secret Spaces, Encounters with God from the Hidden Realm. And she has recorded some of her face-to-face encounters with Jesus across the last 20 years and then given them to us. I mean, wow, talk about holy ground. She says in the front of it, Some people read, some people hear, I see. God is in the words. His voice is one of many waters. He can also pull back velvet curtains to release panoramic views of his presence. He is music, he is lyrics, he is grand theatre. However God speaks to you, it is all glorious. The best gift I can give you is my stories. Stories that help you see further than your own and help you enter your own story. And she goes on to talk about, we are the blind men, we are the disciples, we are Jesus. What does the story look and feel like when we're part of the story rather than just mere observers? It is both impacting and revelatory. 
She finishes her little intro to ask her friends, enter my stories so that you can enter your own. Well, at the end of today's episode, Roma is going to read to you her beautiful, soothing voice, one of her face-to-face encounters with God. How blessed and privileged are we? So hang in there. We're going to get through the content of worship is face-to-face, and then you're going to enter into a new realm led by one of Roma's stories. And I really had that on my heart as I prepared for today, because we're going to talk about one of the most impacting and important men in the Bible today who did encounter God face-to-face. But I wanted you to hear from somebody else today that this is possible for you to live this way today. And Roma is so inspiring, so you're going to love it. So most of you would know that I have four beautiful children, and they have taught me so many things. Being a mum has taught me so much about myself, sometimes very sobering. It's developed my fruit of the spirit. Some days I'm not as far along as I thought I was going to be. They've taught me so many things. And one of, I think, the most important things is how important it is that I give them undivided attention. And I actually think that's very rare in today's world. In fact, statistically, our attention spans as human beings are now less than a goldfish. This is recorded, studied, and this is a result of the boom of iPhones and technology in our hands and the rate of information we're receiving on a daily basis, that our brains are now actually wired to have a less of attention span than a goldfish. Now, that's a very sobering thought, isn't it? But one of the greatest gifts I've realized I can give my children is to put my phone down, to stop doing what I'm doing, and to get down on their level and to look them in the eye. And as a representative of Jesus in their lives as they grow, I'm helping them to tend to their little heart gardens. And the best way I can do that is to communicate with them with my eyes so much more than my words do for them to know they have my undivided attention. You know, the pace of life and the demands on family that each of us are balancing, it can be so easy to have important conversations over the phone or via text message or on the run, but to look the people we love and that we're in relationship with in the eyes and to communicate with them heart to heart is a gift of nurture that our relationships need to thrive. The Bible actually talks about the importance of the eyes, that they are indeed windows into our inner life. And so to really connect with somebody, it's very important relationally that we look into their eyes. And for my kids, sometimes it's not enough for me just to be in the same room as them. They need me to stop and to lay aside everything else, to stand or to kneel or to sit face to face, eye to eye, and let them know you are seen and you are heard. And as God's children, you and I are actually exactly the same. We need that same kind of undivided attention undivided attention from God. I actually love what John writes in 2 John verse 12. He says to the people he's writing to, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. You know, if I was to translate that into modern English, though I have much to say to you, I would rather not text it I would rather not Zoom you. Instead, I want to come and talk to you face to face because I value this relationship and there's joy in relational connection 
even when the conversations might be a little bit difficult. Isn't it amazing that the Bible has something that pertains to every area of life, including even the face-to-face conversations we have? Did you know that our sensitivity to eye contact begins from when we are just two days old? Studies have shown that infants at this early age and stage of life prefer looking into faces that lock eye contact with them. In fact, by four months of age, a baby's processing of people's faces is more deeply embedded when eye contact is made rather than when the gaze is averted. Wow. What this tells me is this, you and I are hardwired to want face-to-face interactions from birth. And God made us that way because he desires relationship and face-to-face encounters with us. And the more we gaze into someone else's face, scientifically proven, the more deeply embedded that person is in our brain and in our heart. Can we have a praise break, people? Hello. Think about the spiritual parallels here. So let's go on the journey together of discovering how this truth should and is an invitation for us to change the way we worship. There was a man in the Old Testament who lived this kind of intimate worship life with God. In fact, he's mentioned 767 times throughout the Old Testament and 79 times in the New Testament. And I am, of course, speaking of Moses. And Moses spent the first 40 years of his life growing up in the house of Pharaoh, learning the wisdom of Egyptians. And we all know, um, we all learned in Sunday school, the incredible story of how Moses was rescued from a basket and taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. You should check it out if you haven't heard it. It's really amazing how God's hand was on Moses' life from birth. Now, his second 40 years were lived as a fugitive from Pharaoh after killing an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew slave. And then at the age of 80, he devoted the final 40 years of his life to leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and through four decades of wilderness wanderings. I'm doing the chronological Bible this year, the CSB version. It's pretty cool. And I am at the moment reading all about Moses leading the Israelites in the wilderness and just once again being so impacted by his relationship with the Lord and his intercessory role on behalf of the people. Now, our pa- the pages of our Bible are full of the incredible encounters Moses had with God, but the distinctive of his life and leadership was his pursuit and ability to host the presence of God. Moses' intimacy with God is inspiring in every way. And yet the Bible makes it clear that through the new covenant, which you and I live under as New Testament believers, we're invited to experience greater intimacy than Moses. Don't rush past that thought. You and I, as New Testament believers, we are invited to experience greater intimacy than Moses. Deuteronomy 34.10 describes Moses as knowing the Lord face to face. In Numbers 12.8, we read that God would speak to Moses mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. Exodus 33.11 says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend 
And this is so important in the context of ancient Eastern culture because it was actually considered dishonourable to look a superior in the face. You were meant to avert your gaze. Yet this wording is carefully chosen to paint the picture for us that Moses was conversing relationally with God. When Moses encountered God's face, this is so cool, it didn't only affect him, it affected everybody around him in the most amazing way. Exodus 34, 29 reads that when Moses came out of his face-to-face encounter with God, he did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. And this word for shone here means to be radiant, to have a shining appearance, to a shining appearance, to glow with supernatural beams of light. So girls listening, ladies listening, men, secrets of our makeup world, that uh, Maybelline strobe stick you're buying, (laughs) that primer you're putting on that gives you that illuminator. Moses, he had that supernaturally after spending time with God. I mean, are you kidding me? Here we are, got a whole makeup industry these days, (laughs) trying to recapture Moses' glow. It's pretty funny when you think about it like that. Moses spent so much time looking at the face of God that his face began to reflect it literally. Wow. Moses' glow was so confronting that he had to sport a veil over his face so that his family and followers could cope with the effects of his face-to-face encounters with God. And Moses would only remove this veil when he went into God's presence. Now, this is very significant, this talk of the veil, because it's a metaphor and inclusion in God's word for us as New Testament, New New Covenant believers. So with this in mind, I want us to open the scriptures to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read a couple of verses. We're going to read 7 to 9, and then I'm going to jump down to 18. It says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I want us to dig a little bit deeper, drill a bit deeper here into some of the context and original language of this passage, because this is mind-blowing for us as New Testament believers. In verse 7, where Paul contrasts the law and the spirit, he's referring to the fact that it was after receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai that Moses originally got his glow on. So he says in 7, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so we're talking about the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he's saying here, Paul is posing the question, if Mo can get his glow while still subject to the law, which has now been made redundant by our once and for all sacrifice, Jesus, then how much more should we as New Covenant, New Testament, Numa-filled believers 
be able to reflect God's glory. You see, we live in a time where you and I no longer have to sacrifice animals or fulfill the law to come close to God. Praise Jesus. We no longer require a priest to be our intermediary. Jesus made the sacrifice once and for all. He became our great high priest. And then he called you and I, his children, a royal priesthood that can minister to God in our personal lives. We have become the ministers of the new covenant, each one of us, not just the pastors, not just the office prophets, each one of us ministers of the new covenant. And when Paul then talks about us coming with unveiled faces, he is referencing the veil that Moses wore so that his intimacy with God was less of an affront to others. How many times have you put a mask on in your worship so that other people don't find your worship confronting? You know, in church culture, we've become quite good at knowing what is culturally appropriate. We know what our worship services are meant to look like, and we know how to walk that perfect tension between blending in, we know how to be passionate enough to fit, and yet we don't want to be so enamored that we would stand out and people would think we're a Jesus freak. We have, in effect, if we've ever bought into this, put veils back on before others, and in the process, we have put a lid on our ability, we have dimmed the reflection of the glory of God that we are intended to show to the world around us. Now, this reference to the veil gets even wilder when we think of it in the context of what happened at that moment when Jesus hung on the cross. He absorbed my sin, your sin, on his perfect body, and he became the payment so that we could experience intimacy with the Father. Matthew 27, 50 to 51 reads, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now imagine that with me for a moment. That curtain was a hand span thick. It took 300 priests to maneuver that curtain. What would it have been like to be in the temple at the time? In fact, Caiaphas, the great high priest, was in the temple at the time about to sacrifice an unblemished spotless lamb for the Passover sacrifice. And there he was standing there. He was a Sadducee who didn't believe in the supernatural. Jesus, um, as he had cried out on the cross, as he hung there on the cross, The word talks about the fact that the whole earth went supernaturally dark, right across the earth, supernaturally dark. And here's Caiaphas, who doesn't believe in the supernatural, most Sadducees didn't, standing there in supernatural darkness, about to enter into the second curtain to the Holy of Holies, where only he, the great high priest, could go to sacrifice a spotless lamb when the curtain tore and landed in pieces around him. It would have been noisy, dramatic, and epic. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, the priests who were in the temple at the time did not understand what had happened and they attempted to sew it back together. Wow. Now, this curtain was also referenced as the veil of the temple. Let's piece this together. The ark, which was symbolic of the glory of the Lord, was kept behind this now torn veil. This same glory that was reflected on Moses' face was now unveiled once and for all 
as Jesus yielded his spirit, left the earth and made the sacrifice, became our great high priest, became our spotless lamb. And access was now granted for every one of us under this new covenant to come into intimate relationship with him. And we never have to wear a veil or a mask again. We're no longer living in his proximity, but invited into intimacy. Hebrews 4.16, Brian Simmons translates it this way in the Passion. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss, discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. And this is exactly what it means to worship God with an unveiled face. It's the freedom and confidence to worship God face to face that comes from knowing everything has been done to conquer our fear, shame, and sin, and we no longer have to veil ourselves. You know, with my kids, one of the ways I know they're lying or that they're carrying guilt and shame in in their hearts is when they cannot make eye contact with their dad or I. It's a dead giveaway. So if I suspect something's going on, I'll be like, look at me, look at me, look at me, in the words of Kath Day Night. And if they avert their gaze, if they will look at anything but into my eyes, I know straight away, Ba-boom, guilty. (laughs) And in my own life, this is often what keeps me in the zone of proximity. It's often what causes me to put a veil back on and out of the place of face-to-face intimacy with Jesus. It's when I'm carrying guilt and shame that Jesus has already paid for. And the enemy wins the war for my worship. He renders me ineffective for the kingdom because he's keeping my eyes on things other than than the work that's already been completed on my behalf is keeping my eyes off Jesus. You see, as long as we've got our eyes on our sin and shame, we're not looking to Jesus. And if we're not looking to Jesus, we cannot become more like him. Here's the thing. Bottom line, if we want to become, we have to behold. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I think is one of my most favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, The word beholding is there and it means to reflect. Reflect what? Reflect God's glory. We read it earlier. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. That word there means reflecting the glory of the Lord. We are called to reflect God's doxa. We talked about this in worship is biblical. His splendor, his brightness, his shining radiance. You know, a mirror can only reflect what looks into it. That's profound, I know. (laughs) Think about it for a moment. As we make face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact with glory, we soon reflect his glory on our faces and in our hearts and in our lives, with our lips, with our actions, And we're transformed into his likeness, just like a mirror. And that's another of the captions we're going to talk about a bit later, that worship is a mirror. But let me remind you, we did talk about doxazo, which means to glorify God in word or deed. Our lives become our worship when we model our lives on the life of Jesus. This is doxazo. And this kind of worship leads to transformation because we become like what we behold, Now, to be transformed means to be completely made into something else. And the original word is the word metamorpho. And we take our word metamorphosis from this word. Most of us are familiar with the word metamorphosis because we learn about it in primary school, learning about the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. 
Well, this is what Paul is saying happens to us, that we change in both appearance and essential nature until we reflect the image of God himself to the world around us. Now, even more remarkable is Paul says in this scripture, we are being transformed into the same econ. What does econ mean? He's using a word that carries the same meaning as the word we find in Genesis 1.27, Salem, where it says, so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And again, we'll talk about this later in a future episode, but I want you to see here this word image. What it means is that as we worship God without our masks and without our veils, as we come freely and confidently, as we behold his glory, we are transformed into his likeness, into his image. We become a direct stamp of who he is back into our Eden state. In other words, kingdom comes in our lives, but this only happens if we come without our veils, if we don't allow our guilt, our condemnation and our shame to keep us in proximity rather than intimacy, because worship's meant to be face to face. And Moses was a man who was an exception to the Old Testament culture. He encountered God face to face. He was known as a friend of God in a time where that wasn't possible without the work of Jesus. He was an exception. And Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see, to run our race well, we need not to be looking to the left or the right. Because if we choose to behold others more than we behold God, guess who we get transformed into? Others, the culture of this world. Now, we all know about the pitfalls of the comparison trap. We know that comparison is the thief of joy. But I dare say that at times, even the church has fallen into this. It comes from a desire to serve the world well. But it means that at times we've spent more time looking at the world's cultures and methods than we have in asking God what he thinks and wants to say about things. And soon we reflect the culture more than we reflect kingdom, even in our churches. And this can happen in our personal worship lives too. But I believe we're in a season where God is restoring his vision for the church, his vision for his children, his vision for worship to his chosen leaders. And there is a restoration of sorts to the original blueprint taking place. And to see this fulfilled, we won't be able to do it unless we fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we do, we are metamorphosed into our Eden selves and into the church that exists in God's heart. It's glorious. We can worship our way to restoration. We can worship our way to transformation. But we can only do this if we choose to take our eyes off ourselves and the things Jesus has already purchased on our behalf. If we remove our masks and step boldly into face-to-face encounters with God. And the really good news is this. The prophet Zechariah tells us the good news. None of this is produced by might nor by power, but by the pneuma, by the spirit of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. You see, we will never bear God's image if we don't first behold God's image. 
We will never carry God's glory if we don't first worship God's glory. We will never bring kingdom to earth if we don't first catch a glimpse of what his kingdom looks, sounds, tastes and smells like. And we find these things not in the proximity of Jesus, but as we come face to face with him, as we behold him in all of his love and his beauty, his wisdom and his might. And the more time we spend beholding, the more of our lives we will live having become like him. And so now, dear friend Roma, beautiful Roma Waterman. You should check her out on romawaterman.com. She's got some incredible soaking music, online courses, all the things that will bless your life. She is going to share one of her face-to-face encounters. He has called me up to this mountain many times before. I walked quickly, feeling the brisk air whipping against my cheekbones. Although it was cold, it awakened my body and spirit with refreshing and expectation. I was being summoned by the king. These moors were hard to find. I would never be able to find it on my own. Yet I can come here when he calls me. As I walked, I had confidence in each step. It seemed an inner compass was directing me to these ancient ruins of redeeming grace the place where Jesus was waiting for me. It was a magnetic pull. When the call came, I just knew where to go. Instead of growing tired from the long walk, I was invigorated with every step as the life energy of heaven drew me to the place where I would commune with my master. The sky is overcast. The only sound that I can hear is the wind and the rustling of my clothes against my hurried body. All I can see is green grass and more mountains. The expanse of land is enormous and spacious. Eventually, as I look ahead, I can see the castle of the secret place. It looks abandoned, but it's not. Even though it is isolated, it is mine and my beloved's, hidden only for us. It is the secret place. As I get closer, I see the ancient brickwork on the walls and the flooring, red-coloured bricks lovingly placed by hand by otherworldly beings in another lifetime, built as he knew me, yet before I was born. I walk through the archway into a courtyard, Here is a circular opening with green vines growing over the walls, speckled with brilliant small white flowers with the sweetest of perfume. They are drawn towards the gentle trickle of the waterfall in the courtyard centre. It is a small circular well that springs forth the purest of water. I drink from this well and look over the wall. I can see the wideness and the spaciousness of the land below. I am high above a planet looking down, and here is where I wait. But I do not have to wait long. Out of a wooden doorway that leads into the castle, Jesus walks towards me. He is robed in the most brilliant white robes. And as he comes forth glistening among the grey skies, the flowers begin to pulse with his light. All of nature sings when Jesus enters the room. Even the rocks cannot stay silent. There is rhythm and melody as the castle comes to life with his presence. 
He walks towards me and he opens his arms. At that moment, he embraces me, his robe enveloping my whole body, and it heals me and it breaks me at the same time. Tearing down walls I have built with the mortar of my pain and the bricks of my failures. He pulls back. I am now also covered in white robes. My travelling clothes are gone. He puts his arm around me and looks over the land. He begins to talk to me about my life. And I don't need to say a thing as he knows my every thought. He speaks to the core of my troubles. He sings to the hidden desires of my heart. He tells me things about my future. He instructs me and gives me strategies, answering every question and concern. I feel my body begin to relax. Words of life because he knows my past, my present, yet he also knows my future. The sky is beginning to set into dusk. The sun has peeked through the overcast clouds and birthed a pink hue that pierces through them. He points to the sky, and as he does, a strange thing happens. A clear computer screen covers the face of the sky, and Jesus begins to show me the course of action that will take place. Like a scene from Mission Impossible, he shows me statistics, references, names, peoples, places. He shows me songs and scriptures and art. He swirls his hands over this screen like a great artisan calling up ideas and dreams. It is frantic and creative, much like a painter who sees something in his mind and cannot paint it fast enough. He is calling dreams into reality. That which seemed impossible is now becoming mission possible. When he is finished, he embraces me again. I am full of him and equipped by his love. I can now go knowing I can visit again when I need or want to. I am always welcome here. So to finish today, how incredible was that? I hope that inspires you. You are qualified for your own face-to-face encounters with God. Not just Roman, not just me, not just Moses, every New Testament believer. That is you. Don't let enemy tell you that this isn't for you. It is for you. So I want to finish today by reading 2 Corinthians 3.18 from the Passion Translation. If you can, why don't you close your eyes and raise your hands and just let the truth of Scripture get on the inside of you. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Worship is face-to-face, friends. So this week, let's remove the veils and let's really press into the intimacy that's been purchased for us. Now, if you do have the workbook, you'll see that in this chapter... We've asked you some questions like, does it freak you out to think of making eye contact with God or with Jesus? I want you to press into that because um, we can only encounter God 
to the boundaries of our beliefs about him. And often if we would freak out about making eye contact with Jesus, it's because we have an incorrect perception of how he receives us or what his character is like. And we want scripture, we want these encounters to get on the inside of us and to retrain and recorrect and teach us to have correct perceptions of who God is. And we encourage you also in the workbook to look at 2 Corinthians 3 again and to look at the life of Moses that you've heard in this and you might read in the chapter of the book and ask you to reflect, what does this revelation open up to you in your personal worship life? Then we get you to go a bit deeper. Like if we become what we behold, take a bit of an x-ray of your life. What are you spending a lot of your time looking at, thinking about? What could you be becoming that maybe you don't want to become? Let's be people who are committed to lives of purity and becoming more like Jesus. And then if you're involved in a worship team, we provide a bit of a prompt there, or you can think about your personal worship life. Are you creating moments in your personal worship life where you don't do anything other than just behold God? And think about how you could start doing that. And we finish the workbook with a quote from the book. If we choose to behold others more than we behold God, we will soon be transformed into their image. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? And so then we give you a bit of a response moment in there as well as going deeper with God. And so I encourage you to grab the workbook. It's completely free and it's just to help you uh, go face to face with Jesus. So guys, thank you so much for sharing, rating and reviewing. It means so much to me that you would give me your time. Um, I feel so honored to be able to do this podcast and to be able to share from my life with you. I'm, I'm so grateful to God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful for every listener, Jesus. I pray your blessing would be upon their life today as they listen. I pray that they would not hear just the words of a woman, but they would feel the Holy Spirit wooing them into face-to-face encounter with Jesus. We break agreement with any misconceptions about how close we can come to you, what your character is like. Thank you that you receive us with love, open arms. We can come right up onto your lap. We can lay in the posture of John, the disciple whom you loved, with our head on your chest, listening to your heartbeat, where you can whisper right into our ear. We're the prodigal son that the father runs and embraces, protects and welcomes home. We're the child sitting on your lap. Hmm. Father, I pray that would be what the listener hears today, your invitation to face-to-face encounter. Thank you that we behold, we become what we behold. We want to be like you. We choose to behold you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. know that Stacy also has a guided prayer podcast. Contemplative prayer is a rich, deep and rewarding way to encounter Jesus and the scriptures. With instrumental scores written to empower your encounters with Jesus, these prayers are a chance to be still and to step out of the hustle of today's fast-paced world. Available wherever you get your podcasts by searching Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier.